Here, now, let me, there. Thank you. Sorry, Vic. Good evening. Welcome to the first chapel of the 2008 academic year. Congratulate the person next to you for being here. We have a new theme for this year. Those of you who are in uh, new student orientation have already seen it. Uh, I hope everybody f uh, found a schedule in one of your boxes, in your, in your student mailbox. Theme for this year, finish the race, keep the faith. So let's say it together. Finish the race, keep the faith. In light of all that God has done for us, we will. Finish the race, keep the faith. And uh, in gratitude for all that he's done for us. We will. Okay, that's exactly what I have in mind. Looking forward to it, huh? Uh, do want to recognize, first of all, um, people who haven't been in a chapel service at Nazarene Bible College before, I want you to raise your hand. I want everybody else to welcome them. There is one person in particular that I want to mention to you. He is the uh, principal of the Nazarene Theological College in Muldersdrift, South Africa. And I've got to read it to make sure I get it. His name is Reverend Mashangu Maluleka. He's with the Graves. Would you welcome him? If you heard President Graves' last report, you know that the Nazarene Theological College in South Africa is a partner with Nazarene Bible College. Um, we are helping them have accredited education for ministerial preparation in South Africa. So uh, he's made the trip here, and we're so glad you're here. And he'll be preaching tomorrow morning and tomorrow night in chapel, so just plan on it, all right? Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, just plan on it. Okay, it's every part of us, all that there is of us, all that we hope to be, all that you want us to be, here we are to worship you. Accept what we have to offer, cleanse it, purify it for your sake, continue to make us into your likeness, help us to finish the race, keep the faith, it's our act of worship. Pray it in Jesus' name, who makes all of that possible. Amen? Amen. You may be seated.
it be, you said. And with that one command, it was all underway. Light and energy, gravity, synchronicity, orbits and galaxies, comets hurtling down galactic highways, a space-time ballet, a thousand years but a day, a brand new planet. Hot with the fires of creation, life under construction, cells, replication, DNA code, embedded commands of how to grow. Make yourself at home, woman and man. Walk the length of the land. Scale the mountains, run the rivers. Drink from the springs, let your free will wander down the pathways of this garden. straight we gave it all away we traded it away in a strange transaction the forging of the first weapons the spilling of first blood the trampling and trashing of paradise blowing the gift to pieces with a bang the need for intensive care. So now the rainforest starts stripped bare. So now the cities give birth to slums. So now the rifles and suitcase bombs. Why, 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 why? Why is a promising life ripped away just when it catches stride and runs free? Tanks rattle and pound, soldiers get cut down, never getting to say goodbye. out their mats on the side of the road, down in the dust, unable to trust or try, with no tears left to cry. Why? How did it feel, God, when you walked this cracked shell of a planet, cried like a broken-hearted child, the perfection of what was supposed to be, up against the brutality of our reality. Making all things new. 
in the clinics where the sick hold on. Hope in the schools and the holding cells. It echoes in the halls of the hospitals. Hope rises up in the cities and the war zones. Hope in the courtroom and in the broken home. In the seminaries and the cyber highways. In the alleys of the homeless and the hungry. In the shack settlements and the compounds. On the farms where the soil is hard and dry. In the streets where the grieving mothers cry. Where the AIDS orphans stare up at the stars. Where the captives pound on the cell walls. Through the coal mine towns and the factories. In the ghettos and the prisons and the cemeteries. So where is it? I don't see it. I don't get it. The fulfillment of the promise. I don't see it down here in the middle of the fear. What hope can remain in the depth of this pain? I don't see it. The earth is groaning night and day. A song of human slavery, of dark disease and poverty, of children in captivity. God, that's the sound that comes to me. Are you still far away on high? Still staring out at that empty sky? Still reaching out with that longing hand? hear no voice and I don't understand. I know about theology. I know you gave your son for me. I know you're wrapped in mystery. I get invisibility, but I still see their misery. I hear their voices haunting me, saying, who will come and set us free? Who will come and set us free? Who will come and set us free? Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Aquí estoy yo. Envíame a mí. Aquí estoy yo. Envíame a mí. Aquí estoy yo. Envíame a mí. Aquí estoy yo. Envíame a Nandito ako. Here as ek. Here am I. Didi pano. Here am I. Maroham befest. Aquí. 
Anna. 내가 여기 있나이다. Here am I. Nazarene Bible College. Here am I. Send me. That's why we're here. In that prayer closet. In that service. Around that small group. Maybe riding home in a car. You heard the voice of God. Who will I send? And your response was the same as we have heard here. Here am I. Send me. You see, that's what we're about at Nazarene Bible College. We're about preparing the ones who have heard the call and who have said from the depths of their being, here am I. Send me. It's not simply for those who will be called to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim the word of God as a preacher. We are more than that. We are the ones who have heard God say, who will go? We have responded by saying, here am I, send me. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. I mean, just those words should clue us in to this intimate conversation that is just about to begin. To Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline.
So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is seeking to encourage the young Timothy. He had a daunting task as he ministered there in Ephesus. And as he faced that task, facing some of the uncertainties of his day and some of the challenges of his culture and certainly some of the issues that he would face in leading that growing church in Ephesus, Paul was concerned, he was concerned for his young son that he would not lose heart, but he would remain strong. And so he gives him he gives him some advice that I would like to pass on to you tonight. As I have said to you, NBC exists to glorify Jesus Christ as Lord by preparing adults to evangelize, disciple, and minister to the world. The key phrase that I want to share with you tonight is preparing. Preparing. And how is it that we are to prepare you? And what is it that you will need to be prepared? as you begin this journey, or as you renew this journey through another school year? Well, Paul points out four things. He says, first of all, you're, you're going to need courage, Timothy. You're going to need courage. In verse 7, he says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Let me say to you tonight that it has always taken courage to be a Christian. It has always taken courage to be a Christian. I, I must tell you tonight, to follow Christ is not for the faint-hearted, the weak-kneed, or the flip-flopper. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life from me will find it. Cross-bearing in, in this context does not refer to the hardships of life. We know that the cross was an instrument of death, not just an object to carry or bear. 
Therefore, to take up your cross means that you die to yourself daily. You let the mind of Christ, the mind of humbling yourself to the point of death, be in you and fill your thoughts every day. It means to put your will, your desires, your wants, your ambitions, to lay them at the foot of the cross of Christ and to crucify those ambitions and those desires before the one who died for us. You see, that's what it means to take courage. It means to follow Christ unreservedly with deep commitment. But how can we do it? How can we have this type of courage? By self-will? By self-determination? Or by self-control? I, I believe there's a key phrase in verse 7. For God did not give us a what? Spirit. A spirit. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us. By the power of God who has called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And then in verse 14 he says again, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, courage comes from God through His purpose and grace at work in our lives and the presence of the Holy Spirit leading us each step that we take each day that we live. William Barclay says, it always takes courage to be a Christian and that courage comes from the continual consciousness of the presence of Christ. But he says you'll not only need courage, you'll need power. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. This courage gives us power to cope, the power to endure, the power to face the obstacles, the power to hold on to our faith in the time of darkness, doubt, and disappointment. This Spirit of power enables us to pursue and practice a life of holiness. In verse 9 we read, Who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Now let me ask you something. Would God call us to anything that we could not attain? You know, that, this... this, this this idea, this, this calling to a holy life has been on my heart. It really has been on my heart. It's, it's been on the heart of, of many of the leaders of the Church of the Nazarene. You've heard, you've seen in your mailboxes today, you saw the holiness summit that, that will be coming to the campus of Nazarene Bible College. This was birthed in the heart and prayer of the leaders of the Church of the Nazarene. And they came to us and they said, would Nazarene Bible College host a holiness summit where for a concentrated part of time we would, we would focus on hearing what God has to say to us 
concerning holiness. I'm thankful that we have opportunity to host this holiness summit on our campus. Only the second holiness summit in the United States in the year 2008. And God has put together messengers that will come and proclaim the truth that God has called us to be a holy people. They'll be coming from all over the world. All over the world they'll be gathering. We will have a gathering like few colleges in the Church of the Nazarene in the United States has ever experienced. They're going to come from Africa. They're coming from South America. They're coming from Europe. They're going to gather on this holy hill. And on Sunday night, we're going to begin to ask God to give us a revival of holiness. It takes that type of power. It takes that type of power to go, to respond when we say, here am I. A third thing he mentions is love. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love. Paul here is referring to the love we share in Christian community. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? In John's Gospel, chapter 13, Verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my, my disciples, if you love one another. If you love one another. You know, it really came home when we visited South Africa last March. Uh, we had the privilege of of going with uh, Medela through Soweto. Soweto, as you know, was more or less the epicenter, if you will, of the, of the uh, 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 struggle against apartheid in South Africa. Now, I, I, I don't have time to tell you the atrocities that took place during that time. I, I just, I can't even begin to, I can't even begin to describe it as we sat in, as we walked through the apartheid museum and, and we saw the, the, the image of the green car that would go through the streets of Soweto with uh, South African policemen, Afrikaans, that would sit with uh, automatic weapons in the back seat and just indiscriminately would shoot people as they went down through the city streets little children playing on the playground, teenagers going to school, moms. It didn't matter. They just exacted their fear upon people. We sat with Medela that night and asked him, Medela, how, how, can, how can you not hate white people? And he said, oh, we hated the evil of what they did. And then he used an African word. And Mashangu is going to help me tonight. I'm not even going to attempt to say the word. 
Mashangu, come and explain the word that Madela explained to us that night that brought tears to my eyes and relates to this sense of love that I'm talking about, that, that, that Paul is talking about in community here. The, the, the Zulu word is called Ubuntu. The literal translation is the essence of what makes us as human beings. The, the philosophy of Ubuntu, it's an African philosophy that says, I exist because you exist. I, I cannot find my meaning and my fulfillment without you. I was not created to be an island. And that philosophy helped us to say, even if you wrong me, it is the wrong that I do not accept. But I was created for you and you were created for me. And behind that philosophy was the spirit that helped uh, even Nelson Mandela to say, if you hate me and I hate you back, you have won because you have imprisoned me. But if I choose to love you, I am a winner. Say the word again for us. Ubuntu. Let's say it together. Ubuntu. 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 You see, God put his family together to live in community. And I think one of the beautiful expressions of what we have at Nazarene Bible College is that we are family. We are family. The professors, the administrators, the staff, we are family with you. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. May that be so. May that be so. Because I tell you, just as Reuben Welch said so many years ago, and it continues to ring in my head, we really do need each other. Then there's a fourth thing he says, self-discipline. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Discipline. William Barclay writes, self-discipline is that divinely given self-control which makes a person a leader of others because they are first of all the servant of Christ and the master of their own lives. Let me tell you something. You're going to need self-discipline. If you have an assignment that is due, <laughs> listen, listen to me, listen. That assignment is due on Friday. Don't wait till midnight Thursday to start on the assignment. Why? It's just like writing a sermon. 
You know what I found when I would sit down in my office on Monday morning and start looking at the scripture and listening to the spirit and beginning to see what God was saying to me? I had all week for the spirit to teach me and to show me things that I needed to see through that week. And I can tell you when I waited for those Saturday night specials, they were anything but that. And it requires self-discipline to say, I will do this and this and this. Rather than say, well, I can get to that later. I'll just put it aside. I'm telling you, let God, you, you're preparing to be his, his servant, to say, here am I, send me. Get into it right that day. You'll need that. You'll need that not only here, but you're going to need that as you go out and serve. You'll need that. I, I recently watched the Olympics. I must tell you that I much prefer the aspects of the Olympics where there are, where there are clear winners. You know, if you're racing, the first one to the tape wins. If you're swimming, the first one to touch the wall wins. I don't understand all of these points and stuff that you have in gymnastics and, and other things. I, I, you know, in fact, it just gets my blood pressure up. <laughs> I, but I remember watching Sean Johnson. You know Sean Johnson, she's 16 years of age. Four foot nine from Des Moines, Iowa. And I remember watching her on that balance beam. And the thing that runs through my mind is the balance, balance beam is four and a half feet tall. Okay? She's four nine, so when she comes up, it's about like here only. Okay? It's four inches wide. And the thing I've asked myself is, how in the world can they find the courage to do what they do on that four-inch wide beam? I mean, I might be able to do this. But flips and twists and splits Well, you read about her and you discover that it takes courage. It takes control, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. It takes coaches like Chow and Lee. It takes commitment. She practiced only 20 to 25 hours a week after going to school all day. Most of them practice 40. But it took courage and control and community and commitment. So how will you fulfill your dream? How will you discover and fulfill your mission life? How will you prepare it? How will you prepare for your life's calling? Paul would say, through courage 
power of the Holy Spirit, love, community, and self-discipline. You can do it. You can do it not because you have the grit to do it. You can do it because you have the spirit to do it. And we're counting on you. That world is counting on you because God has called you and there's no one to replace you. Let's sing. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.